Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Hello everyone, this is Carlos again for another episode of the e-commerce group show. Today we're joined by Michelle Evans. So Scott, uh, you can introduce her and we get to, to the questions. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Carlos, and uh, welcome uh, uh, to another episode. Is, it, what, is this our sixth episode, Carlos, uh, that we've yes. recorded so far? Our, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, excited uh, to have Michelle Evans uh, join us today. Uh, if we uh, look at uh, our talk about Michelle's uh, bio, uh, she is uh, our oversees the global digital consumer research uh, at Euromonitor. Uh, and uh, has uh, been at that uh, for some time. Uh, she has been recognized multiple times as a leader uh, uh, and a voice and a pundit when it, uh, we come to talking about digital commerce, uh, when we're talking about retail, uh, when we're talking about just commerce in general. Uh, uh, and you can, uh, I think most recently, uh, she was uh, yet again uh, on the Rethink uh, Top 100 Retail Influencers list. So if, you, if you've done anything, you know, uh, have any interest in retail and commerce and done any sort of research into what's going on, you've probably bumped in uh, to content uh, by Michelle that offers uh, very uh, detailed uh, imp uh, insight uh, into uh, retail, at, at, you know, at a, at a global, you know, really from a global perspective. So, Michelle, uh, pleasure to have you join us today. Yeah, thank you, Scott, for the introduction and, and for the invite to, to join the show. Always uh, good to share the stage with you. When we first met way back when, when we used to travel to places or conferences. Yeah, that seems like another era. I think that that was... Uh, around 2016 when we first met. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in Sao Paulo uh, at the uh, e-commerce Brazil uh, event. We were both keynote speakers uh, at that event. Uh, and, you know, I will say that it was very memorable for me, uh, uh, not only that I got to meet, uh, you know, awesome people like yourself, but uh, that was probably the biggest room full of people I ever stood up you know, in front of and, and yeah. did a live talk. That was a really big show. Yeah, I think it was my biggest as well, yeah. I think there was literally it was a five thousand you know plus uh, uh, room uh, at the time, so it was a little scary, especially being uh, you know a, not a Portuguese speaker and you know uh, you know more than half the room you know uh, relying on translation to even you know yeah. uh, hear what yeah. I was saying. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, uh, that was crazy. So. Uh, what what have you been doing uh, over the last year, you know, with, uh, you know, the opportunities to kind of go out and, and, and you know, speak to people in, in person? You know, how's your how's your life been? Well, it's drastically different, for sure, much like everyone else. Um, you know, I was traveling all the time. And, and like you mentioned, I was in a global role. So I think in 2019, I think I went to 10 countries for work alone where either I was going to client engagements or um, conferences. And then, um, you know, I think as things were taking off last year, a lot of the first opportunities were coming out of APAC. So those quickly got canceled and, you know, you know, then in Europe and then in the States. So I never traveled anywhere um, in 2020. And then and obviously I'm still kind of grounded now. So been all virtual I've uh, been doing the virtual conferences and getting used to, to zoom and other platforms and uh, presenting virtually to clients so it's a it's a different ball game to speak through this type of, of setup and and whatnot yeah it was, it was a crazy year it was it was sad to watch all of my frequent flyer status dissolve into nothing Yes. Uh, you know, which is where, <laughs> which is where I sit today. <laughs> uh, uh, basically, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be nearly as much fun to fly when we can return back to it. You know, because you're gonna be. Yeah. Right I'm just gonna I be remember, nobody. Yeah. I remember you guys down in Brazil that uh, we all were members of the same. We all flew generally the same airline. But I took a direct on someone else, and you guys were like, "No, don't do that," because. It's all about status, right? And being able to easily jump on flights. And yeah. um, I know I, I learned a lesson from you because you have been on the road more. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that was, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, that was an important game to play if you were going to travel a lot, right. Just for your, your happiness and well being. <laughs> but, yes. yeah. uh, you know, when you're spending so much time on airplanes, but, uh, uh, so hopefully, you know, that's something we can worry about again soon. Uh, you know, I guess uh, something to look forward to. Uh, so, uh, you know, interesting, you know, I, I think related, you know, to kind of some of the conversation we can have about commerce, you know, is, is that whole virtual conference phenomenon, you know, that, that, that has occurred, uh, you know, because driven, you know, by the, uh, by the pandemic. So, uh, what do you think about the clubhouse phenomena? You know, I, I, that's that's really, you know, caught a lot of my attention lately. Yeah. Do you think it has staying power? I'm actually an Android user, so I have not been in this game. Yep. It's yeah. like, You're outsiders. That's yeah, you. And, that's cool you. And I can't be part of. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I didn't really realize that it was iOS only until I asked Carlos why he wasn't on clubhouse, because it's like built for him you know, yeah. the kind of things he does, you know, and he really should be there. Uh, and then, you know, he told me, well, because we can't, you know, because I have an Android yeah. and Android can't play. I, I assume that that is something that will change uh, uh, at some yeah, point, but it, I don't know. Yeah. It somewhat reminds me of, and I'm kind of forgetting the exact language. Was it Twitter chats? Do you remember that? Where there would be a hashtag and you kind of you know, get everyone to join for a certain hour and you talk about X topic. Uh, obviously this is, you know, the video adds a, as, adds a stronger element to it, but sort of reminds me of that. Yes, it's, it's, I, you know, I had not really paid, you know, I sort of knew Clubhouse was out there, but had not paid a lot of attention to it. Thought it was really kind of for, you know, the cool kids to go out, you know, and, and, and hang out. And then, you know, all of a sudden I started getting invites to, to join these groups of people that I used to go to conferences with and, you know, be on stage with, you know, and, yeah. and would, you know, be on panels with and, you know, and that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, this is a, this could be a really, you know, great opportunity, you know, you know, since I've been sort of anchored to home uh, for so long. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the issue. It's like, you can, you can do virtual conferences where it's, sharing presentations and, and you can even kind of replicate the panel experience, but it's more so those conversations. And especially, you know, it's one thing if we want to meet up at a certain time and talk, but it's, it's more of those organic things that would happen at shows, you know, like going to the Brazil show, um, you know, obviously we started speaking because we were both there in person. Right. You know, and I don't know that that would have happened, you know, like it's, is that meeting people and talking and starting the conversation and, and whatnot. Uh, I agree. I agree. You know, I mean, I, I think just that thinking of just that one show that uh, uh, e-commerce Brazil, you know, I made connections like yourself uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and actually several others that are, you know, kind of uh, lifetime connections now. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, based on that, that, that one show it's uh uh, yeah, and that's missing from some of these. Uh, this, yeah, I agree. I do platform. have um, kind of stronger connections that came out of that show too. I, it's, uh, yeah, it's I so regularly. You know, I've been uh, the 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 Brazilian contingent that comes to uh, uh, NRF in New York. You know, before we cut that down, I, you know, yeah. I've been regularly participating in their events. Uh, uh, as a direct result of that one trip. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, very interesting. Well, so uh, in the case of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, as, as Carlos and I were thinking, you know, ahead of time about, you know, what would, you know, what could we talk about with Michelle Evans? Uh, you have, uh, uh, fortunately, uh, because of what you do for a living, provided, you know, far more, you know, material uh, in your research. <laughs> Uh, than we could ever cover. Uh, so uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, lack of, of, of interesting things we could talk about, uh, including, you know, I, you know, one of the, the your more popular articles on Forbes, you know, when I was sort of poking around, uh, was your 2027 predictions for how COVID will change the retail in the future. Yeah. And I know, I know there's a companion article that's the 2021 version now, uh, you know, almost uh, 12 months later, not quite 12 months later when you publish that, uh, you know, so I think it, it, you know, it might be interesting to kick around some of those, uh, uh, those insights and, 
you know, where you got it right, where you got it wrong, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe why in some of those cases. Uh, so if, if I started out with the first thing you talk about in your 2020 predictions, uh, you talk about uh, a diversified supply chain uh, uh, in that article. And, uh, you know, you talked, uh, you know, a lot about the impact of China uh, uh, at the time, which, you know, that, you know, China has been in, you know, in the news for, you know, political, you know, and yeah. uh, COVID and, and, and as well as, you know, uh, you know, I think the U.S. has a lot better understanding about how important China is in our supply chain now uh, uh, after a year of this. So I'd love to hear your comments on uh, uh, what do you think, uh, you know, happened over the last year and, and where do you think our supply chain is going? Because I don't think our supply chain problems are over. There's still weirdness. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think awareness is a key word that you used where, um, you know, I think what happened kind of put a limelight on the strength of China and, and how much they're embedded in everything we did or we do. So I do think there's that awareness and, and increasingly companies are looking to diversify those supply chains. But you know, those kind of changes don't happen on a dime for sure. Um, you know, it's a very intricate uh, type of thing. So, you know, I'm sure it won't, it won't get to, you know, there's probably to some degree a, a stronger desire to do so in the middle of the crisis than probably will get executed off the back of the crisis. I'll give you that. But I think, um, I think we'll, we will still see some greater diversification. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like, you know, a, you know, a more contentious relationship with, with China maybe is, you know, not going to change anytime soon. And, you know, even with a, yeah, you know, the, a very different administration, uh, yeah, that they're not. Aside, there is the political ramifications, too. Yeah. And so when you saw a lot of companies, you know, uh, you know, as really as an insurance policy uh, uh, move, uh, you know, uh, uh, production and other things to tai uh, Taiwan or Vietnam or, you know, or wherever just to, you know, uh, because of the tariffs and, you know, all the other uh, uncertainties uh, that were going on. Is that, is that genie out of the bottle permanently now? I would say, you know, and I think you almost have a, uh, the two-prong attack too, when you, you know, like those situations were happening regardless of the crisis and then the crisis kind of exasperated all the problems. So I think you'll see, um, you know, some of that diversification happen because of the first and then the crisis inspiring more. Like I think it was Japan, the Japanese government gave money um, to, to motivate companies to, to move out of China, I believe, if I remember that piece of news correctly. So I think there's an impetus on sort of both sides to to shift that. Well, I guess there's 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 other you know besides just straight you know sort of commerce uh, concerns. There were you know literally national security uh, security concerns and other things you know that sort of bubbled up as well. Yeah, and uh, I think when you when you think about the political issues too. Um, you know, I, I, what comes to mind as well is like Jack Ma and how, you know, he, he disappeared for a while and, and, you know, they didn't know what happened to him. And, you know, essentially like he spoke out against the government and, and kind of went into hiding after that. And I think it, it does raise concerns when it comes to um, partnering with with companies in China or investing in companies like Alibaba, right? Because you know they are you know operating or headquartered within 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 China. So you know what will the Communist Party there decide to do? I, I think that's a lot different than a company in the states um, that that obviously faces different political challenges. Yeah, interesting. So do you, do you think, you know, those those challenges, uh, did that uh, permanently, you know, sort of put a dividing line between, you know, where Amazon is going to, you know, be, uh, you know, doing their growth and marketing versus Alibaba as an example, do you think? I don't know. I, obviously, when you think about 
you often strike that comparison, China versus the U.S., like they're, they're clearly both massive markets, both massive e-commerce markets. Um, you, you have kind of the Amazon versus Alibaba player. And you also have like in other industries too, like the PayPal versus Alipay and all of that jazz. You know, I think because of the Chinese government not allowing the foreign entities to set up shop there, you always have that kind of Chinese counterpart um, across all of these industries that are allowed to uh, sort of take root and grow that homebound, that homegrown operation. So, you know, I, I think, and you know, it clearly becomes a problem when they export out of said country, but, but they are on other sides of the, you know, different sides of the world. Um, so I'm not sure to the degree to which they'll, necessarily run into each other obviously somewhere like india could be a spot where amazon is pushed more into um but it, clearly there's challenges between india and china anyways um but you know amazon a lot of its business is still the states clearly it's made a big push into europe um so i think it's a little bit different than if geographically the, the the countries were closer and and the strategies were similar Okay, well, let's move, let's move on. Let's talk about, you know, in 2020, uh, your next uh, prediction was acceleration of e-commerce, which in 2020, who knew what was going to happen, right? It was very, you know, there was an awful lot of uncertainties, you know, and I, th and I think that, uh, you know, if you go to look at what you predicted in 2021, that, that continues and, and maybe not as, you didn't have to go as far out on a limb by the time we got to 2021 uh, uh, on that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, where were the surprises uh, for you there and in, in the acceleration of e-commerce, which clearly occurred? Yeah, I think e-commerce and, and just the general growth was was a story that was going to be a headline in 2020, regardless of COVID. We knew, you know, that that was going to be the fastest growing channel and, and still will be. And, and obviously we saw the spike brought forward by the crisis. Um, in terms of in terms of surprising results, you know, I think some of this is still playing out. Clearly, we're we're all kind of stuck at home still, and some of these habits are continuing. Um, I think it's going to be the degree to which all of this sticks. Um, so, in our surveys of industry professionals, three quarters expect that this crisis-inspired boom will continue. Now, the, the unknown is the degree to which that level continues. And we still expect positive growth moving forward. Obviously, the growth rate will slow. What will it slow to? Um, you know, I'm more of the mindset that I, I think some folks put out there the idea that it will be e-commerce all the time and stores are irrelevant and all of that. And, and I don't think that's the case. I, I think there's going to be um, a pullback on, on e-com. You know, I, the first part of this conversation, we were talking about the idea of going back to conferences and the idea of enjoying that. I think people do want to get out. They do want to experience things. So um, stores will have a role to play in the future. I think what this period showed us was kind of a draconian preview of a world where consumers just shopped online and avoided stores, right? It changed very much overnight what the role of each were. Um, but I don't think that's, that's the reality in the next few years. I, I think there's going to be a snapback and the challenge for retailers is going to be, and it depends on the product you sell, like that's going to be a very different experience with channels and whatnot and, and what the value is of e-com and how, how many virtual experiences you need to provide and whatnot for this, uh, you know, to sell and market your products. But, you know, you're all, I think fundamentally the, the role of the store will change, um, you know, how consumers view it, uh, the functions it serves, because, you know, in the past, going to a store was very much about shopping. It, clearly during COVID, it became very transactional in, in nature. Consumers try to avoid the store. And then e-com used to be transactional, and now it is, you know, kind of the shopping destination. So it's, it's getting that sort of balance right. Um, and we're 
I'd say we're seeing that somewhat in our data. We have consumer surveys that we've fielded. There's three of them that have gone out over the course of the last year or so. So pre-crisis, kind of the late March, early April timeframe, and then the beginning of this year. And you do see that, that massive spike in digital channels at, at both the research and purchase stage. And, and it's not to say we're at pre-crisis levels, we're not, but there is in our most recent fielding kind of a slow, a slight pullback we're seeing across all products, um, all products and services where it, it's, it's just a, a bit down from that height of last spring. So I think consumers, even though we are still very much in this kind of lockdown mentality, are pulling back and, and finding some of that balance. So, yeah, you know, so if you were, if I were in your survey, I would definitely be in the camp that the, you know, the changes, you know, the growth and, and, and shift is, is permanent. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I think it, it definitely doesn't all reset back to, you know, the way it was. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's done and we've learned some things about, uh, you know, what we can do online without actually going to a store. And, and there are certain things that are, are still, more than adequate, right? You know, are, are good enough or, or better uh, than, you know, the way we did it before. And then there are other things uh, you, you're right. It, it, that are, it's not as good. It's not as fun. Uh, uh, you know, I feel like there is a huge pent up uh, surge, uh, you know, waiting to happen, you know, as soon as you feel safe, uh, you know, for, you know, for my, my wife and I, you know, you know, we've, you know, been waiting to, you know, be fully vaccinated and, uh, uh that's happened for us. And so we're, uh, uh, you know, now a lot more comfortable about, you know, going out, uh, uh, uh you know, into the stores, you know, masked and, do, and, and still doing, you know, being safe, but, uh, uh, you know, not worried about, you know, catching, you know, uh, uh I'm in the hospital on a respirator version of COVID, right. You know, in the process of, of, of shopping. So it, it, it feels a lot, it feels a lot safer uh, to go out and do, uh, and uh, you've, of course, had folks that, you know, never cared one way or another anyway, just want the opportunity to, you know, to be able to get out of there, uh, get out of lockdown. Uh, you know, and you look. You're in the Dallas area, right? I am. Uh, and I meant to ask you at the beginning of our conversation, where are you joining us from? Are you in Chicago? Uh, yeah, I'm in Chicago and I'm in the okay. city proper. And and something that I've, I've noticed over the last month or so is traffic patterns. Like they've been picking up here and it's not to say they're not all going to retail stores per se, but they are going somewhere. And I would imagine, you know, that, that tells me that consumers as more are vaccinated as we, you know, have, you know, we we're reaching the lowest level of positivity rates here. Um, not to say if, but there's, you know, kind of that bit more of normalcy coming, I would think. And, and, and stores are likely going to benefit from that too. Yeah. Now traffic has picked up here as well. Uh, you know, and, and you could just get up and watch the morning news and, and listen to the traffic report and, and, and see that uh, there are more people out and about because there are more wrecks and jams and other things uh, <laughs> than, than, than where we're happening uh, before. And, and for the times when I do need to get out, uh, I'm, you know, even on the weekends, I'm uh, uh, I'm quite surprised at the the amount of traffic uh, that's yeah. out on the road. So you know, things things feel almost back to the same on that on that uh, mm -hmm. on that front. So, um, what about uh, live streaming and uh, you know that phenomenon? Yeah, no, that's one of my favorite topics I've written about over the last year. Um, obviously, it's it's one that emerged out of China. Um, it was taking root before COVID ever over ever became something. Um, but really, COVID drove live streaming in China to more. It it really took off last year. Um, you know where a vast more amount of consumers were were using it, um, and then we we saw it start to get exported. You know across. Popping up in LATAM and in North America, Western Europe, etc. Western players like Amazon and Facebook uh, pushing it out more. You know, Amazon had its Amazon Live in place before COVID nineteen, 
but they added influencers to that platform um, mid 2020. So in the middle of COVID and Facebook launched their live platform on, on across their different properties in mid 2020. So that was a COVID inspired um, kind of push. So certainly that is something that has been, has been taken off. It, it is interesting you know, it, it does ring with a certain subset of the population. Obviously, it skews younger. Um, it skews towards a lot of emerging markets. It kind of follows that same pattern of social commerce that we saw a few years ago. I think it's kind of the, the reincarnation almost of that experience. Um, and, it, you know, it, I think for those like Americans, you kind of relate the experience somewhat to shopping on QVC or the Home Shopping Network. Um, but, you know, I think it, obviously this appeals to a younger generation, but I think there is a stronger kind of one-on-one -on -one connection between the host and the, the consumer where you can really ask a lot of questions and get them answered and, and play probably a more active role in the content and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely one that, that it has gained a lot of steam off the back of COVID. And I think it's it's something that will continue from the vantage point. I think this was coming down the pipeline regardless. I think COVID accelerated it because we were all at home and, and went to virtual experiences. So I do think post-COVID it will stay around. Um, I, I think it's a matter of, I think that it's a matter of the degree to which it, it does stick. And I think it's more so, um, probably certain types of products and certain types of experiences where if you're really adding value, um, then it will have some staying power. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, actually my, my current role uh, at Powerfront, we are, we, we provide live streaming. That's one of our products at this okay. point. So, so uh, I, I'm glad to have the affirmation uh, from you because we, because we believe that as well. And, and, and we're inspired by what we saw in China. Uh, uh, to, you know, create our product and introduce it. Uh, yeah. uh, so, and, you know, I have to say that uh, you're right, that there are, you know, uh, definitely certain, you know, sort of uh, uh, verticals where it really fits very mm -hmm. well, just right out of the box. Uh, we're seeing a ton of activity and beauty uh, uh, with this uh, as an example, but, uh, you know, we have some of the uh, uh, like Swatch is an example of a customer of ours that is, uh, uh, you know, doing some really interesting things yeah. uh, uh, with live stream. And, and we have some other customers uh, that'll, uh, that I will talk about here, but, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, I think we're going to have some really interesting use cases for it. So, you know, I think that, you know, that commerce enabled live streaming, you know, where it's, a, you know, kind of a seamless uh, experience from the I saw it, I talked about it, I loved it, and now I'm going to buy it. You know, that's the, uh, 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 you know, that's the ticket, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, we continue to, we continue to see growth uh, in that area. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, if you think about the Chinese consumer, I'm not surprised it started there, and I'm not surprised it probably will be there that it always has the most traction. Cause when you think about that kind of consumer, they always like, you can look at a website in China versus the States as an example, and just the amount of product detail that's provided in China, because they, they have that thirst for knowledge. They, they want to research things. Um, I remember talking to Alibaba once about how they were working with a company and the amount of detail that was being included for a, a private label olive oil, which in the States, no one would care about, <laughs> you know, that you're, you're buying it for because it's cheaper, you know, it says some key words on it. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think, I think it, there is an element of the, the consumer. I think the beauty comment you made kind of speaks to the personal nature of beauty or apparel products. And the other area that I think about is um, ones where demos really help. So if you think about maybe um, like Bissell had a big push on um, on 11.11 and launched a specific product where those are the kind of products where, um, you know, demos help, where you'd like to see how to use it. Uh, so I think that's another key vertical too. 
Okay, I'm going to move on uh, uh, to the next uh, at the rate I'm going. We won't get through them all. The uh, uh, boost of contactless payments. So, you know, if, if thinking about over the, uh, you know, the past year, do you think, did the boost happen that you thought was going to happen? Uh, how are the incumbents in, innovating, uh, the payment, you know, uh, uh, incumbents, and who are the up-and-comers? Yeah, I think contactless is definitely, you know, it was, it was taking off, but it definitely received a nice boost during COVID. Um, you had players like Visa and MasterCard work with governments and organizations around the world to increase contactless limits to reduce the need for a signature or pen in executing the transaction. And I think that only helps the trajectory long-term. Um, you know, the, the kind of thing that contactless had going against it was just consumers reducing their time in stores, period. But, you know, in general, contactless rose. And, and then off the back of that, digital wallets, which digital wallets cross both the end store, you know, they could be NFC that mimic the contactless experience or could be ones that you use online. So in general, wallets um, saw a nice uptick of that. I think in terms of interesting players in this, uh, obviously Visa and MasterCard types um, are seeing that sort of uptick as established players. I think there's been a lot of activity from someone like PayPal in this domain. Clearly they started as an online um, wallet, but have over the course of their existence have tried to push more into store-based as well since, you know, 80, 85% of transactions are getting executed there for goods. Um, so they launched their, their QR code this year. Obviously they acquired iZettle a couple of years ago to make that kind of push on um, that, that sort of dongle for, for storekeepers to accept those kind of payments. Um, so they're an interesting player. I think in terms of others, there are there are ones like across different regions um, that have certainly gained traction as well. But that's one, um, you know, more so in the U.S. I think of. What about the guys that are doing, uh, you know, kind of uh, buy the, you know, the, the big purchase you want and pay it out over, you know, X buy it out later. Yeah. 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 They have taken off quite a bit. Um, Afterpay out of Australia, I got. I I'm gonna I'm gonna try to quote this. I feel like it's their share price doubled over the year. I think I I, I I I I'll tell you from personal experience because uh, you know their founder came and met with me back when I was still at Neiman Marcus and they were just a startup, right? Yeah. Uh, he came and met with me and I was so impressed that, you know, when they went public, I bought some of their, uh, uh some oh. of their stock and, uh, it's, uh, was a very smart decision on my point, uh, my part. I'm very yeah. happy with where the value of that is today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So all of those players have taken off. Um, clearly they're benefiting from the econ boom. They're also benefiting from kind of the, the budget those seeking out to to keep a budget this year amid the economic concerns as well. Um, so they benefit there. Uh, it, it tends to, um, I think, be embraced more by younger consumers. Um, Absolutely. was a big driver. I don't know long term what your thoughts are about the business model. Um, obviously, merchants are you know, covering some of this and it's more costly for them. So I don't know if, if long-term it's something where they work with these third parties or if there's um, some sort of, uh, you know, a private layaway program that they create, um, you know, for their customers, you know, in, in general, maybe that's how retailers are competing nowadays where it is all about accepting all the payments that consumers want to pay with. Right. But this one's a more costly than accepting a Visa card even. I th I, look, I think especially, you know, I, I think about the luxury business model where, uh, you know, the struggle has been to uh, uh, bring uh, new younger customers into the fold, right? Uh, uh, you know, you've, you've sort of, you, you are already the uh, affluent 
mature customer already knows about you and, and, and shops with you or they don't. Uh, but, uh, you know, trying to attract that, that new customer that doesn't maybe, you know, hasn't reached that point in their life where they have uh, that income level to just pay, you know, pay cash yeah. for, you know, that, that handbag or their shoes or that whatever that as- aspirational item is uh, that they want, that this is, uh, you know, this is, a, you know, a really interesting way to go grow your business and grow that loyalty, uh, uh, you know, for that, that younger customer that we can, you can build into a long-term relationship. Yeah, and, and it must be that appeal to the younger customer, like PayPal launched their paying for this year. And when I was buying my husband a birthday gift, I decided to opt into that, you know, it didn't cost me anything. And I just wanted to see what that experience was like. So I'm getting text and email, you know, every fourth time, every time this next payment happens four times over. And I could have paid out, right? Like it, it wasn't a big deal. So I, I think as a more established adult, I, I don't know what the real draw is per se. You know, I know what is said is for millennials, it's more of that budgeting idea. Like you're ultimately going to be paying for it. You know, like I hope you know the money is there or coming in. Um, but from my vantage point, I didn't personally see a, a huge benefit. Yeah, no. So look, I, you know, like there, there might be some sort of a, a gamey or techie thing I wanted that cost two hundred bucks, and if you know that showed up on the credit card, you know, I'd have to explain that to my significant other. You yeah, know, but it, but it, but it, but in four payments of fifty bucks, it doesn't really trigger any alarms. <laughs> You're smart. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Uh, how about reevaluation of re? commerce, re, commerce. Yeah. So that's all the secondhand thing. And I think when I wrote that column, this was back in the spring, I think it published last May. This is the mm-hmm. part of the, the yep. lockdowns and such of the States. I was thinking a lot more about the, you know, the, the health concerns, right? Yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy secondhand items. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it might see a, a dampening of that a bit. I, I think probably some of this comes down to the individual consumer as well. I'm sure some um, still have those concerns and I don't know, you could, you could watch news reports every other day and, and get some other information in terms of how this virus is transmitted, especially during that time frame. Um, but the other thing that's helped re-commerce is just in general, the economic crisis and when you have those moments in time, you know, consumers turn to budgeting, they turn to debit cards, they turn to secondhand items and, you know, all that. And, and think about how, you know, a, a, a look at luxury items, how lightly used they probably were <laughs> during this time yeah. period yeah. Uh, uh, as well. So uh, not a lot of opportunity to put wear and tear on a lot of this stuff. Uh, to be honest. So, you know, I, I you know, I think that I, I, I kind of agree with what I think you're saying, which is it's sort of the trajectory has sort of remained uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, similar. I, I think that was the one prediction where it's a little bit wobbly. Um, there's obviously a lot of different factors playing into it. Um, in general, you know, the secondhand market was taking off and as you're able to digitize that more, it makes it a lot easier. Um, and if if vaccines help with getting getting COVID under control, then you know I think in general the economic crisis that obviously is going to continue. Like there are well, there's the haves and have not of this darn downturn, but those that have not are going to still face an uphill battle. So may turn to those. Um, type of products over the next year or so and yeah I mean that's a that's a whole and and not my area of expertise either but that's a whole show in and of itself when you think about you know for instance like the restaurant industry which has been devastated and all the folks that you know uh, you know have little or no work uh, you know during the during the lockdown Uh, uh, yeah it's I'm surprised that the very surprised that the overall kind of global economic impact is is not more severe than than what we've seen to be honest and you know you, you got to kind of wonder if there's some kind of amble waiting to fall uh uh at some point you know there you always have to pay the piper 
Yeah, probably paying off the stimulus bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They've been pretty free, <laughs> been pretty free with that, uh, haven't they? Um, you know, when any, when anybody wants to talk, you know, in any innovation discussion I've been in over the last year, you know, the 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 the, the thing that you know comes up first is, well, we managed to do curbside pickup. You know, so let's let's talk about reimagined store pickup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think last mile, like just the general reimagination of that was sort of a ticking time bomb. And then COVID happened and everyone realized, oh, we better really focus on this, right? Like e-com was rising, the environmental concerns were coming more into focus. Um, and then all of that just you know, it got exasperated. So I think you're seeing that both across retail and food service, they're faced with the same challenges. And, you know, clearly, like you, you said, a lot of players ramped up um, curbside operations, whether as an individual retailer or a, a mall owner um, going across numerous brands. You saw some of that too. Um, and then, you know, I think looking at technology in terms of how you know, could we use robots or drones in the final sort of last mile? Could we use um, autonomous vehicles, those kind of things, which any of those investments are going to take a longer, you know, sort of term view to, to bring those um, into the fold. The, uh, uh, yeah, you, you think about the, you know, robots and, and uh, autonomous vehicles and all that, it didn't really, didn't really happen, right? Or it didn't, it doesn't seem like it moved that much further uh, over the last year. And in some cases we went backwards, uh, you know. Yeah, like a, you saw some, I, I think more pilots or rollouts, but even if you think about players like Starship out of the States, um, you know, they, they suddenly had huge demand, but obviously there's, a certain limit to their supply and how much they can ramp up, right? So any of those kind of heavy tech investments is going to take a while to implement. And I, I think in the States, you're seeing more regulation even against um, using those type of things on sidewalks and, you know, all of that faces greater regulatory hurdles. I think somewhere like China, this is becoming a bit more commonplace. We see it in our consumer survey where we ask consumers their level of comfortability with drones or robots making that final delivery to them. And only 5% of Chinese consumers say they're against that. And that's wildly different than what we see in the US. So I think there's more of a kind of an acceptance um, somewhere like that versus the States. And so, to, you know, to wrap up the last two of the seven, right, you know, it was, uh, you know, big gets bigger, you know, and I, I think it's, it would be safe to say that big did get bigger. Yeah. Uh, that uh, definitely happened. And uh, uh, technology we have woven into commerce, which you addressed just a little bit mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, your, in your last answer. Uh, so, you know, taking that one specifically as we, you know, kind of come up on the end of our time uh, today, uh, for you, what new tech, when you think about technology woven into commerce, what new tech happened that really changed uh, the face of retail? Did it? Yeah, I think you saw greater investments. Like when we surveyed, we surveyed retailers and consumer brands about their tech investments and whatnot. We, we ran November survey and we had done this previous November. We specifically threw some COVID, COVID questions in there um, from the standpoint, we asked them what they ramped up or slowed down, et cetera. But even if we look at the questions um, that were filtered across all years of the survey, there was certainly, uh, you know, a bump up we were seeing. But I don't think any, none of these investments, you can't implement the, these type of things overnight. Um, in general, like if I look at this year's results or the most recent set, um, AI and cloud tend to have the greatest focus for a variety of, of different activities, um, you know, right now that they're investing or the very near term. Um, whereas things like AR, VR, blockchain, um, 5G are more five year plus. Um, so I think that helps to also ground expectations and you know, all the hoopla around blockchain or AR or what have you that 
that some of these things are, are more in the offing rather than tomorrow. Yeah, I, I found it. I found it interesting that, you know, AR, VR did not get a bigger boost out of this. If you think about, you know, how, uh, how uh, it really was, would have been a nice uh, addition when, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out product and uh, mm-hmm. uh, solutions, you know, from a stuck at home uh, position, you would think, well, wow, this technology would really be brought in, but, you know, uh, you know, creating the content for that is quite complex, you know, actually. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I think it's self-limiting. Well, right? Yeah. Self-limiting how fast you can grow it. Uh, yeah. As uh, opposed to like live streaming, like, what do you really need for that? You know, if you, you need that platform, but a camera and somewhere to stream, right? Yeah. And, and well, it turns out you also need some skills in production and some other yeah, things could, to be good at it. Yeah. You can do yeah. some things better for sure. Yeah to get up and running um yeah uh so you know i know we're near the you know uh, the the time where we should wrap up carlos you've been awful quiet did you did you have anything you wanted to ask uh, michelle no i i've been uh following you guys i I haven't been feeling excellent today like great so thanks for that scott i think you did (laughs) an amazing job but uh, the, the only thing that I checked on uh, your article that was quite interesting, but you, you mentioned is uh, you mentioned Latin America also as one of the, uh, the different things and up, up and coming trends eventually, like Mexico maybe catching up with Brazil, which yeah. is where I'm from. So that, that's quite interesting to me to hear uh, something about that. Yeah, Latin America um, is really getting its moment in the, in the sunshine last year. It was the fastest growing region in the next five years in our forecast period. We expect it'll be the fastest growing as well. Um, so like you mentioned, Mexico is, is helping to drive some of this. They, they have one of the kind of fastest growth rates in terms of absolute value in the next five years. I think they're only behind China and the U.S. in terms of the Ecom value they'll add or they'll expand. Um, so certainly, you know, I think some of the hurdles that have held back e-commerce and lat am. So you have security concerns or fraud concerns or those kind of things. Consumers overcame some of those fears this year and, and gave it a whirl, um, and, and so obviously helped to convert some some consumers to this channel. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe uh, just a, a final like note or um, from from my end, from my side here. So I'm in Brazil. I came I came down here. I'm, I'm based in Denmark, um, but I, I came to see my parents. And I told Scott that the mood here, uh, you know, I live I'm, I'm I'm I live in São Paulo. Um, it's not great, and there's so many stores that have just closed down and shit you know and i don't know i don't know i i am not really optimistic when i see so many stores you know just shutting their operations so i think we talk a lot a lot about digital but when we look at the bigger uh, like at the greater scheme of things i don't know and uh what do you see in the u.s what is the mood like you know job in terms of jobs and and stuff like that yeah, when you look at the like the overall retail industry, it did it did um, contract last year. E-commerce was was the bright picture, and you know I see it in Chicago. Stores are certainly closing, and I think small retailers, um, like Scott said, I, I wrote my column about the the big getting bigger, and so some of the smaller yeah. ones challenges, and, and maybe had to come online even for the first time. Um, so unfortunately there, there are going to be likely fewer stores and, and more, uh, or less retail jobs as well coming out of this. Um, but I, I, am trying to think of our forecast data, how quickly, I think it was in 2021 or by 2022, we expected, uh, the, the overall global retail sector to rebound to pre-pandemic levels. All right. So it kind of bounce back. Now it doesn't mean the sales of those smaller players might have executed, might be going to players like Amazon or Walmart or big mm-hmm. players like that, right? In the future. But are you considering also like uh, the government 
stimulus, you know, some some sort of packages to help retail get back to to uh, to the normal. Yeah, so we consider that when we're doing our estimates, um, it's just just all a matter of when we run our research schedule and and what news is known. Um, obviously, lockdowns. Um, there was there's a lot of up and down last year in terms of yeah. uh, severity of lockdowns. Like the UK had. Um, what are they on their third, I think, kind of severe lockdown, which is kind of different than our, my experience here in Chicago. Um, so, you know, that certainly drove, um, you know, a more challenging environment for retailers as well there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in, in Denmark, uh, we have seen, I, I saw a study and they, it said that, you know, small countries or smaller countries, they could they were they were able to deal with the COVID situation way better than than larger economies like Brazil or the U.S. You know, because I mean Denmark, uh, um, there was there was a there was a decent package for every citizen. So even if you were out of a job, you didn't have to concern you know so much about it. Uh, whereas if you compare it to Brazil, like it's just like wow. So there is also well, it's it's difficult here. Um, because it depends on the state uh, where you're based, you know, so each state is taking uh, a measure, sort of like to, you know, some states, they have no lockdown, Sao Paulo is under lockdown now, so it's, it, yeah. It, yeah. And our reaction in the states was very, or in the U.S. was very state-driven, right? Like the lockdowns and the- Still is, still is. Yeah, it, okay. obviously the, the stimulus is more uh, federally driven, um, yeah. it's widely executed in that manner, but yeah, Texas, well, how much is Texas open? I know Florida- 100, 100%. Yeah, and Florida's, you know, COVID doesn't exist anymore as well, but right. um, <laughs> in, in Illinois and Chicago, we're, we're still pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. look, I, you know, we'll, and we'll, we'll, you know, time will tell, you know, how- out, you know, if we're dealing with, you know, a fourth wave or not, you know, as a result, you know, hopefully not, you know, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully the vaccine uh, uh, number of folks vaccinated, you know, continues to bite into, you know, you know, how quickly new infection can occur uh, and that vaccines went out. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. I wouldn't, I don't want to go back into lockdown. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I, this is probably a good note uh, to uh, uh, stop at. So uh, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time, Michelle. It was great uh, to have the opportunity to catch up with you again. And let's not, uh, let's not wait so long uh, before we do this yeah. uh, again. And uh, Carlos, I'll let you take us out. Yeah, so thank you, Michelle. It was a pleasure to meet you. A lot of um, really cool knowledge that you shared with our audience. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I'm wrapping up for today. So thank you very much for this.